We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, coaches. Welcome back to another Modern Soccer Coach interview. Big one this week. We've got Alex Clapham on here. England, Spain, Sweden, life as a set-piece coach, and then most recently at Vasco da Gama and at Genoa in Italy. Amazing journey, amazing insight. You're going to love this one. We talk about all of this here in the next hour and a little bit. Before we start, please give it a like and please, please subscribe if you haven't already. We've also released a new resource on the Modern Soccer Coach website. The link is below. Please check that out too. Here is Alex. Enjoy. Alex, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Excited to chat to you and get you on. Thanks so much for doing it. No, real pleasure. Like 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 we've spoken in the past, I'm a big fan, uh, big fan of your work as well. Um, I know you're doing a lot more analysis p- pieces on on LinkedIn and different social media. Uh, so no, big fan. And uh, finally, I found a bit of a window where I've got some time to come on. So yeah, let's uh, happy to make it happen. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, let's get stuck in it. I know there's going to be this is going to get a big response. I know there's there's a lot of coaches that are intrigued by your journey and. A lot of people that are inspired by your journey and the way you've kind of gone about things. And let's let's start not at the very beginning, but let's start. What I wanted to do was start on that move to Spain, and I wanted to ask you basically 2014, moving there, learning the language, immersing yourself in the Spanish culture, but also working in this role of like working during the days, coaching at night, where people think sometimes that you arrive at these academies and you're it's a little bit easier can you talk about the challenges or or the experiences of going there learning it breaking into that culture from a football context yeah those 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 for me those were the golden days you know it's uh when you're running on pure pure fuel from your dreams and your passion that that you've had from a kid um but yeah no it, it was it was uh it was a challenge but listen these are challenges that anybody's going to face going into being a coach a lot of times uh, unless you've really had a bit uh, a good career as a player, then it's difficult to go into uh, a full-time role straight away. So yeah, these are challenges that people people are going to face where they're juggling a full-time job with with something that they're doing just for the love of it. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, certainly a challenge with regards to the language, learning a language, learning the culture as well. Um, with regards to how my days looked, um, yeah, from seven o'clock in the morning, I'd be up and out into a out into a school around uh, Catalonia or the Barcelona region, uh, teaching English till five o'clock, and then it'd be straight across on the metro to a session. Uh, yeah, and, and listen, when you're going to a completely new culture with a new language as well, it's a lot of listening and just a lot of watching. Uh, you have to you have to take a back seat in 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 the uh, in the in the beginning certainly, um, but no, it was a, a challenge that I took on. Um, and and yeah, that that's that's something that I, well, I spent six months previous the previous year in Mexico, so I didn't go in completely blind with regards to the language. Um, so while I was in Mexico in the mornings, I would be in in university for three hours a day trying to learn the Spanish language. Uh, so I didn't I didn't go into it completely blind, 
Um, I knew the fundamentals, the basics, and certainly based around football, just from my studies over the previous sort of, yeah, five, six years. Um, so, yeah, I went into it. I went into it um, with with the fundamentals there, with the languages. So I knew what was going on. But, yeah, I know you've had guests on previous in the previous weeks, which I've listened to, who've been out in Spain or are in Spain currently. And, yeah, you have to go into it with with the, the mentality that, yeah, you, you're there to learn. You're there to learn and you help where you can. But, yeah, sometimes you're going to have to look like a bit of a fool because, yeah, it's sometimes, you know, you're in, you're in front of a group of 20 kids and the coach shouts, oh, can you get me this? Can you do this? Can you move that goal? Can you get them cones? And you've not got a clue what's going on. So, yeah, no, you have, you have to be uh, comfortable with that. Um, but, yeah, that's just another challenge. And then with regards to the with, to the culture, uh, which I think is shaped by the language. That's something that I think is key to speak about. Uh, the language really shapes the culture there, uh, certainly around football. And I read a piece the other day, um, and they were speaking about different languages in football. And a lot of the football terminologies in Spanish are feminine words, um, which already, from me, coming from you know Northern England and going across there, where it, a lot of football that I grew up around was you know, win your jewels, win your tackles, make sure you get stuck in to go into some somewhere where they're speaking about, you know, for example, there's there's terminology and words where it just doesn't make sense when you cross it over to English. For example, the, the word that's used there a lot in the game is orientation, whereas here it just, it's not something that, that's really applicable to football, whereas there it can mean, you know, how do you shape your body on approach? How do you orientate a game? So, you, for example, one moment can change the complete orientation of a game. Or, for example, it could mean switching switch play. Um, so just from one change in the orientation, it could mean that the ball arrives from the left and then gets out to the right. That would be changing the orientation. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, it's, uh, it's a lot of different linguistic terminologies. And, uh, yeah, that, that certainly shapes their mentality. I read the article that you wrote for The Guardian. So I'm, I'm assuming that there was, a, there was that childhood dream there but but was there also a piece of it that was you know I, I'm I can't get on this course I'm getting rejected for UFAB does that does that impact pathways uh, as well yeah for sure no that was that was a, a, a challenge um because for a lot of that period I was going over to the states and doing doing bits there um and then whilst they're applying to get on the B license um a lot of the answers for the B license were, well, you need to be within a club to be working in, uh, to be working within a professional football club's academy uh, to get on the B license. So then I'd go to an academy, and a lot of the a lot of the responses were, no, well, you need the B license to get in the building. So yeah, there was a lot of that catch twenty two, which yeah, it was frustrating. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I was in Spain. Uh, well, sir, during my travels in America and in, and in Mexico as well, I, I met a lot of Spanish coaches there and they were telling me about the courses and they are, they are quite accessible. Um, as I put, I'm not sure if it's the same now, but the, uh, when I was studying there, there was there seemed to be a, 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 a B, an A and a Pro every sort of six months or three months within every region. So it was a lot more accessible. Um, so, yeah, after two years there where I felt comfortable enough to, to manage a session to 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 handle myself there um I, I got on the first one i could in 2016 again looking at your your pathway a lot of it looks 
normal now the the Pep Guardiola game in England and the the kind of mainstream way of the Spanish game has become but that's only come around probably in the last five to seven years when you were making that in that journey it was a little bit of a of starting that there before it was even popular and, and and I think that goes around with the set piece aspect of it it seems that you were on top or, or in that space really really early before again that it became pretty widely accepted now what drew you to the aspect of set pieces and when did you realize that that was a an opportunity of growth in clubs as a specialist role yeah no um i mean with regards to 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 sort of getting into a club that that was that was my in i used it you know i didn't have a professional career um, I didn't have too many contacts, certainly within the English game. Um, and no, a role came up with Notts County um, and I applied for it. And uh, no, we went through the interview process there and um, luckily I was successful. Um, but a lot of a lot of the aspects that I took from that actually came in Spain when I was working in Getafe. So I was with the under-19s there throughout 2019 and... This was the year that the first team were having success in the Europa League and it was Bordelas's previous stint at the club. Um, and a lot of what they were doing was being compact, being solid, staying in games and then having success offset pieces. Um, so, yeah, again, to my fortune, um, we, we trained on the pitch next to the first team. And a lot of the times our players would then step across the train with the first team when they were doing set pieces. So so often I'd stay around after our sessions and watch, watch their work. And yeah, just the amount of time and emphasis they put on set pieces. Um, I took a lot from that. And then we actually did implement that into our 19s team as well. Um, and we, we, got, we got quite a lot of success off there um, doing that. But it was interesting because when you think of under-19s football, yeah, it's still youth academy football and... And the big question is when and where do we do we put that much emphasis on set pieces? Because, yeah, like like I said, we had players going to play with the first team and being involved. And all of a sudden, if you don't defend this set piece, we're losing a game. People are losing jobs. You know, you're losing your you're losing your place in the team. And then, you know, it's a business. So it's it's an interesting question where when and where we we, we put that much emphasis on the series of set pieces because they are such a critical and pivotal part of the professional game. Um, so it's come from there. Um, and then I after after Getafe, I, a, a role came up in Sweden um, in the second division there. And I went in as a as a head coach there. I was As it unfolded, I ended up as a, as a head coach within a few weeks of, of arrival. And uh, a lot of what I took from Getafe, I, I, I implemented there. And we got success just from, yeah, give, giving time. And I think one of the key key things for set-piece coaches is time. Um, because yeah, you know, when you go in as a coach and you are backroom staff, you are really only as good as the time you get or the culture that you're working in. And um, yeah, so if you could give 20, 30 minutes at least, then the players feel a lot more comfortable in what they're doing. There's more belief there. Um, so so that's where it grew. And then the more you do it, and the more I've done it over the previous sort of three, yeah, three, four years. I've grown in the role and I've seen what works, what doesn't work. And then obviously that, that will, that will vary between the cultures and, and, uh, and countries and uh, different kind of roles that I'm in as well. Um, but yeah, you do learn with time and you become more efficient in what you're doing. Certainly when you're getting five, 10 minutes a week to work on attacking and defending, uh, you have to learn quickly that actually um, 
you've got to be quite efficient here with the work you're doing. And I, th- I, I remember, I can't remember, um, it was a Luis Enrique interview while he was Spain manager. And uh, he spoke about one of his staff said, one of the quotes was, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. And that, 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 that really strikes with me because, yeah, basically the less time you have, the more efficient you need to be. So, so you have to go into players and imagine you've got 22, 25 players in front of you and you've got five, 10 minutes to implement something. You've just got to go bang, bang, bang. These three aspects, we need to work like this. And uh, no, you certainly learn and, and develop as a coach uh, do it through doing that. Oh, what I find really interesting is it's this aspect of the balance between like innovation where you're trying to 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 bring in something new or a, or a, or a set piece with some movements to try and unlock something. Then yeah. the basics of on both sides of the ball that, that you need to get right. Like, how do you manage to do that at a high level? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I've been in roles where I've had 10, five minutes a week. And in those roles, I just said, okay, we need to nail the defensive principles. So we'd spend maybe two or three weeks just just defending corners and working on what we're doing in a zone. What's the triggers for the zone? What's the moment to jump out as a zone? What are the triggers for us to uh, defend the second, third, fourth phases and really try and go through that with everybody um, and then move it on to defending uh, free kicks or, or, or throw-ins, especially when, when we're facing some of the... Um, some of the teams are certainly lower down in the league in the National League. We we faced a lot of teams who would, you know, have a, have a lot of uh, long throws as a as a big part of their of their game plan and their attacking philosophy. Um, so yeah, I think with with the management of time, that's something that you really have to nail and really have to develop. Um, again, so I'll go back to what I said before: you're only as good as the time you get as a coach. Um, with regards to routines and working. On the attacking phases, something that I've learned in time is can I take the key individual? So it might be the taker and then probably the finisher and then maybe one or two other players during the week. And this may be after the session. It may be after lunch, whatever it is. If you can grab them and just show them a video, that that can really help. That can really help on if you've got four, four players there who are going to be key in it and you know that they're probably going to be playing. Um, that's something that I've used to, to success as well. Um, but yeah, certainly when you get short amount of time, I've just tried to nail the defensive the defensive aspects because they're more concrete. They don't really vary. Um, here and there might be, we may go with one less zonal player or he might be ready to jump out for a short corner. Um, and then a lot of times I've been in the dressing room before a game because the team's only just been announced. And that's when I'm, I'm telling players their roles on attacking corners. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a challenge, and like you said, yeah, it's uh, it does take time. But certainly, when you're in a dressing room and players are already sat down putting their socks on, they've got their they've got their headphones on, and you're saying, "Can I just grab you just for a second? When the when this signal goes up, you need to block this play. You need it. It's tough. It's tough. Really tough. But yeah, if uh, you're a str- you're only as strong as the culture you're working in, and if you can work in a culture where people are open to yeah, take them, take these four players for five minutes, but. Yeah, when you're in a holistic environment where the fitness coach understands it, the gaffer understands it, the assistants, the analysts even want to jump on and help, that's the key. That's the key for me. The aspect of, of data, and obviously that's come into the game as well. I imagine at Getafe, especially with the 19s, that, that wasn't a, a big, big part. Or were you gathering your own? Or when did that help you? Or what was that process like? 
No, so my real first sort of experience with data came at Notts County. Uh, the They're in a part, or, or their owners actually own a group called Fo Football Radar. Um, so there was a lot of data used there. So I'd be in, in a lot of contact with the data guys there trying to pull up um, information on us, information on on opposition, and then information on what, what's hot at the minute, what's going on with, with the top teams. What are the top set piece teams? What are they good at? What are the worst ones? What are that? What are they not so good at? Where are we? Where can we hurt teams? Um, so yeah, that's when I was introduced to it. Um, obviously, in the roles and the bigger clubs you work at, there's a lot more. There's a lot more uh, data accessible to you. Um, and yeah, as time goes on, and I know, yeah, it's, it's certainly coming into the game now, and it's becoming a lot more prevalent in the game. But as time goes on, a lot more coaches and analysts are data savvy, and I think. Over time, it will become something that's a lot more, uh, it'll become a lot more accepted in, in the game. Yeah, we're also seeing the, the role of a remote uh, set piece analysts, and people are doing some work now, you know, from the laptop, sending reports in. You mentioned there about you're only strong as the culture, and, and how difficult is it to be doing that from a, from a remote point of view? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's key. It's key being in there every day. Uh, or certainly as much as you can. Um, I know a lot of clubs because it's quite a, it's a cheaper option now to go and get a, an analyst who is remote, and they may just do a um, a pre match or post match piece of work every every week. But yeah, you need to be in there. You need to know the culture off the pitch, the culture, the football culture, the philosophy, the beliefs, um, and then know and feel the environment. For example. Yeah, you might analyse something and say, well, why has this player not done this? Why we, we told him his job. Why has he not done it? Actually, he's going through something in his personal life. Now he might be going through a divorce or whatever it may be. And these are things that you don't know and you don't feel. So it's, it's so hard from a distance. Um, but yeah, like we know, the key to the key to coaching is relationships. You know, if you certainly... If you think about set pieces, probably the most boring part of football is, is, is set pieces. So, you, you know, you're asking people to do things that they don't really have interest in doing. And then the defending part, it's ugly. You know, you're asking people to to be aggressive. You're asking people to block people. You're asking people to block shots with a, with whichever body part they can. And, yeah, to do that, you need to know that, that they – they trust you and they trust in what we're doing and 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 you yeah you have to build that and construct that daily relationship with them it's uh, it's, it's it's key hello coaches we take a quick break here thank you so much for all your support on the modern soccer coach podcast the modern soccer coach youtube page we really really appreciate all the support if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the page or the youtube page it really really helps drive the numbers forward and helps us get guests like alex and guests with top level football experience that we can lean on for insight and perspective and inspiration as well so again thank you so much for the support if you wouldn't mind if you haven't already just give it a like and subscribe to the podcast and the youtube page that would be huge thanks again your role, your journey has has fascinated me for for a number of years since I started following your work. But the but the Vasco move was like I I thought that was amazing, and especially then when I saw you were going to work with uh, the Brazilian legend Jorginho, who was one of my heroes growing up. I have to say, in that '94 team as a right back, uh, he was like a he was like a European player in a South American system, and I don't know anything about his managerial 
style, role, philosophy. So how much of, because I had Jamie Hamilton on before and we, we, got, we talked about the Brazilian influence with Europe and how that blend together, sometimes really unique and intricate. How, how was his philosophy when you went in there? Yeah, so <laughs> he arrived to Vasco uh, and they were in in a crisis. So they were, they were in Serie B and they were looking like it's going to be touch and go whether they go back up or not. So he was brought in with 10 games remaining of the season. Um, he'd coached there before. He's a club legend. He's a national legend. Um, to be honest, especially in Brazil, you know, there's pro there's a game every three days, every four days. A lot of what he did was his personality through just through his personality and bringing bringing his beliefs and his, his, listen, he's a really emotional guy um, and he, he he's in complete emotional contact with players whether that's they're all doing a prayer before a session they're all you know stood in a circle so you can imagine me coming into that culture and thinking wow this is this is completely different from me um but yeah as you said he's a legend and and i think the players really bought into that and you see it when you know we leave a hotel or we're getting on the bus and the players there's sort of two, 200, 300 fans outside the hotel and the players walk straight past and get on the bus. As soon as the boss comes out, they're all screaming his name. They want they want a photograph or a second of his time. And then I think when you have that aura, especially, you know, you played at the level he did, you won the World Cup, you went and played in, in clubs like Bayern Munich. Um, you just have that respect and that aura anyway. Um, and, and yeah, just, just an incredible, incredible person. He's the... Uh, he grew up in a favela in Brazil, so he understands the background of the players, where they come from. Um, and this is something that he preaches a lot. And he, he, when I speak about it, he makes emotional contact with players. He speaks about their beginnings and why they're here, who they're doing it for. Um, people that didn't quite get the opportunities that, that they have got, let's do it for them, for example. And um, yeah, in the favela that he grew up in, he runs he runs a, um, a charity there, which he does a lot of work for as well. So... Yeah, I think that's just that's just an example of what kind of person he is. But yeah, a real legend. And we I got I got actually quite a bit of time to spend with him outside football. We went for some meals, luckily. Uh I got to share some time with him there. But yeah, real real interesting guy. And um yeah, it'd be interesting where he goes next. Um because he just came in and got the club up and then and then the club moved on and got a new coach. It was uh it was surreal. The whole thing was like a a film or some some sort of dream, but no, yeah, incredible opportunity to go and work alongside somebody like that. Yeah, the the Brazilian culture is just uh, it's just it might be the most fascinating football culture just for me personally. Um, the fact that they've turned out players for the last a hundred odd years, um, from a player development standpoint, in that environment, and you send a game every three days, which people are are giving out about game loads and schedules these days. Was what about those players jumped out to you in the, in that period there? Yeah, for me, it's the, they're always going to churn players out. There's always going to be a new Brazilian star forever because there it's football or nothing. You know, um, yeah, as brutal as it sounds, you know, there's a film uh, called City of God and it's based in a favela there. Our training ground at Basco is in the middle of that favela. Um, and while we were training sort of 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 
there were kids that all sat on the walls all around the dressing room would come down from the favela to watch every session and they wanted every piece can we can i get can i get that shirt can i can i get the goalkeeper's towel get in the hands on anything just for the love of it and that that just gives you the you know just a scope on just how just what football is to them there you know it's not it's not a game it is it's, it's football or nothing um and then yeah from that comes just a love for the ball and that's something that never leaves them it lends itself to the culture and just their love for life and and how social they are and again um i'm guessing we're going to go into speak about their relationism and where it's born that just comes their culture and their way of seeing and feeling football it's it, it just it just really really lends itself to relation it, the relationism style of playing as well there's just a love for the ball they want to come and get on it can they join in can 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 they do whatever they can to get on the ball but yeah i mean with regards to 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 the training methodology and how it was there they more or less lived at the training ground they were they were in every day i think in my i was there for eight weeks or nine weeks and I can't remember a day off. Day after games, they were in. The day after that, they were in. Match day, match day plus three, they're in. It's uh, just how they are. They don't know anything else because I remember speaking to the gaffer and speaking to the sporting director and fitness coaches and saying, "But what what do they do when they're not here? What where what do they do?" And they're saying, "Well, we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. We don't know where they're going to. We don't know what sort of environment they're in or coming from when they go home." Um, so we keep them here as much as possible. I remember we, when we, we could have a home game on a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. kickoff, and they'd be in, staying in a hotel from Saturday night. They'd stay hotel Saturday night, train Sunday, go back to the hotel, train Monday, go, and it was just for me completely, completely new and, and different to anything I'd seen or felt before. And that's when I'll go back to, yeah, sometimes you just have to take a step back and listen and watch and learn because – yeah, you have, you have to get a feeling for the culture before you can do anything. And But like I said, the feeling and the love they have for the ball, just, just for a ball, if you could kick a ball over a wall to these kids, you know, that's them. They're happy for, for hours and hours and hours. Oh, that's fascinating. See when you're, see when you're looking at the other side of that, the, the, probably the, the opposite is the United States where financial brackets that, that are playing the game and expose the game at a really serious level. Like, yeah. No, there's a lot of investment here to try and get that style of football, and and coaches are passionate about developing players like the Brazilians. And you can't measure that love of the ball. Do you think you can build that into an environment that it's it's not in the air? So, I don't. For me, I don't think so. Um, the love of the ball comes from they don't have much more to do. You know, there's no real phones. There's no iPads. There's no you know, PlayStations or anything like that. They've got a ball and that's it. And I remember we'd leave training and the cars would be we'd coming out in the cars out of the training ground and the kids would be lining up and players would just be throwing coins and kids would be asking, can I get, which would be the equivalent of two pence, three pence, because they want to save up to get a ball and play football on the streets. That's all That's all they're interested in. Um, trying to construct something that looks like that that's that's not there when there's so many other distractions going on and yeah there are safety nets of you can fail in football or soccer you may not make it to be a professional and then but yeah you're probably going to get a job in coaching or in an office or whatever uh when you don't have that safety net then it brings a complete different perspective to everything um and 
yeah, I think you need to be careful with 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 trying to construct something that's not there at the base or at the fundamentals. And yeah, for them, for the listen, some of the players, I won't go in, I won't name names or anything, but some of the players couldn't tell the time. You know, uh, they couldn't read or write. Um, and like I said, the kids who are sat on the wall, they're not at school. And that's during the term time. They sat on a wall watching our session and then they stood outside playing in the streets all day. Um, so, yeah, how do you sort of take that and drop that into somewhere like the States where there are so, so many comforts and, and security in life? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not something that you can really uh, manipulate or sort of construct construct yourselves or man-made not really yeah let's let's talk positionalism relationism I'm, I'm sure you followed it in the online chats as well i mean what what's your take on it? it's like how different do you think the systems are do you think they intersect in in, a, in certain aspects as well yeah for sure it's uh listen it's really interesting and it's something that is for me completely new and i don't know enough about to comment in in real detail but uh yeah, for me, um, we need. To, I think there's there's a line where, and society now has such desperation to put things in a box with a label on a shelf. That's that. That's relationism. This coach, what's it? Okay, that's positionally. And I think we need to be careful because lines do cross. And 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 look, for example, uh, if you look at Chabi Alonso's uh, Bayern Leverkusen at the minute. They have moments of both in the game, and you look at them. Oh, he's, he's a positional coach. Look where he grew up. Look at the national team that he played for. You know, he, he was coached by Pep. He was also coached by Mourinho. And then moments in his in his team and in his structure and in their methods where actually that's that looks like re relationism. You know, it's um, it's something that we need to be careful of because also, yeah, as as humans we only go off our perception of what we're seeing and there's a confirmation of bias confirmation bias and we want this we want to we look for what we want to see so we can we can sit and watch a match and wait 80 minutes and then say oh look they're doing that he's a relationist coach you know so so i think we need to be careful with that um again it comes down to the feeling and the beliefs and the culture and the language which i spoke about earlier on and i think that's got to affect that's got to affect what you're doing as well. I mean, we are creatures of habit and you look, I mean, I'll take an example. Let me take an example. If you, if you get a kid of four, five years old, they like to know what's going to happen. They like to know what's coming. They take comfort in that. So sometimes you get a kid and they can sit and watch the same film on repeat three or four times a day, just because they get comfort from, I know what's happening next. I know I'm relaxed. I'm calm. And I think that's something that, we need to take into consideration what kind of cultures does the relationism come from? And when you look at, so we're saying it's, it's now Fernando Denise who's doing it. Um, it's something that's reminiscent of the Brazil teams from the eighties or the seventies where, yeah, they're starting to overload these areas. These players are coming together and the, there's a real feeling and, and sort of uh, socio effective superiority amongst them there. Um, so it's something, it's something that's interesting, but, Luckily enough, why, where we trained at Vasco was next to the Fluminense training ground. And Fernando Denise had been in Vasco with a lot of the staff that were still there a few uh, the year before I was there. 
So yeah, on my first day, I was sat with the analyst and I and I said, "What? Tell me about Denise. What was he like?" Was it? And we were looking at videos, and a lot of his relationism ideas are born from positionalism ideas. They said before he started talking about relationism or whatever whatever you call it, he said we must have three players in this zone on this line, and then we can start to build from there. So then, where are we saying, you know, is he is he then positionalist actually? And it born from there, and then it's developed into something else. Yeah, back back when I went to another example, when I went out to Barcelona, Luis Enrique had taken the the Barcelona job. And in world football now, you'll do well to find a coach who who believes more in in occupying spaces. And this, you know, if you had to label him, he would be a positionless coach. But his front three were Messi, Suarez, and Neymar who, you know, they went where they wanted. Yes, they had starting positions, but then they could get Neymar on the right, Messi central, Lincoln. And then within that, there's Danny Alves joining play and you could get Alves, Messi, Suarez, uh, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, all within sort of 20, 20, 40 metres of each other. And that's a Luis Enrique team. So I think I think we need to, we need to be careful. Um, it's, again, it's something that I don't know enough about. It's something that I don't know enough about, so it's, it's, I want to see it develop as well. Um, my question for it is, how far can it go and to what level can it go? Because, yeah, De- Denise is doing it with Fluminense. Uh, Malmo doing something that looks looks like it's going that way. Uh, Real Madrid do something that looks similar to what they're doing in, in Fluminense. These are all teams who are extremely st- strong teams in their league. And I think the minute I start to see teams take it on and take it, can can a team like, I don't know, let's say Luton do it in the Premier League or Fulham do it in the Premier League, then I'll start then I'll start to say, okay, maybe maybe this is something that's gonna grow and grow and grow and grow. But I was lucky enough to go across to see some sessions and see some Fluminense games. I remember watching it and I felt uncomfortable. This is probably due to my Spanish education, but I felt uncomfortable watching it and thinking, yeah, but if they lose the ball, they're in they're in big trouble here. Um, and we look at the Fluminense versus City team when I talk about this and you look at the first goal in, in the first minutes. Um, Marcelo switched play and they lost possession to Nathan Ake, who's a central defender. When you lose the ball against a team who have that kind of quality and they've got Nathan Aki, a central defender who can curl one onto your post from 30 yards, 35 yards, then I start to think, can it still, you know, grow its fruit for us in these bigger leagues? Um, I know they look to counter that and they say, okay, but when we're, when we're working and we've got four, five, six players in these tight areas of 40 metres, we then need a player to occupy the space in the diagonal area to counter it if the ball does come out. Well, surely then that's positionalism if you've got a player occupying a space there. So, listen, it's something that's growing, something that I don't know enough about, but I have thought a lot about it and and, and I've got a, a million questions. But listen, let's see. Let's see if it's uh, how high it can go and to, to what level it can grow to. Fascinating, fascinating. You said there, uh, sometimes we look for, for what we want to see. Do you think people... The coaches as well want or looking for something a little bit more, a bit more freedom in football in general. It, you know, something a bit has it become a bit generic and a bit packaged around the world at the minute. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, yeah, you know, uh, you go to an academy game now, be it in England, be it in the States, be it in Spain. I can guess what it's probably going to look like, what teams are going to do when they have a goal kick and where they're going to try and hurt the team, where they're going to try and hurt the opposition, sorry. Um, it has become a bit generic. And like I said, we are creatures of comfort. And that's why I want to see, can this develop in in maybe more of a European structure? Certainly, to get it to, get it to work in Sweden, listen, hats off, hats off to for, for for them doing that in Malmo, but I actually went to see a, a Malmo game uh, in September, and there were moments where they, they they started the build up and it went to one side and they they tried to manipulate the opposition so they were uh, six against five in a small area and they lost it, but they didn't get hurt because the quality wasn't there for them to get hurt. Um, now, yeah, it's. Uh, it's, it's a case where it's happening at the minute in teams that can outscore the opposition who don't really get punished as much in in transition. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. But um, for me, it's completely, it goes completely against everything that I've, I've learned. Well, basically growing up in, in Northern England, playing in Northern England as a kid and then into my early 20s, you know, it goes against everything there. And then my, my education was in Spain. It goes against everything there. But... Again, I mentioned Luis Enrique's Barcelona. The front three there were all South American. So so maybe, maybe it's because they just have that feeling of, actually, I want the ball. What can I do to get on the ball? What can we do to over... Let's just start playing. Let's enjoy this ball because we love the ball. Maybe it's just, it's just born from that because they have good players. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You see, again, when I think of structure... I- brings us along nicely I think of probably Italian football um, with tactics and setups and and again the culture of how they view football Um, funny when I was putting the questions together and I I was looking at your Genoa stuff and I was like I remember Genoa in the early 90s with Scurave and that stadium in 1990 I think that's where Ireland beat Romania Um, the walls behind right the the, the walls yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, how how was that? How was that? And and if I'm wrong, if I'm not not wrong, that that was the after at uh, Brazil. So yeah. was that a was that a completely different culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't get two more polar opposites cultures. But I remember it was it was at the time it wasn't funny. But looking back, I was in Brazil and we had when I arrived, we had seven games to get promotion and we managed to do it. Um, I remember we did, we had the after the final game where we got promoted, we went to the hotel, and there was a party going on, and all the players were banging on the bottles and everything. They were making their own music, and you can imagine. Um, and I went to bed around three. I woke up at seven as the bus was leaving to go to the airport to fly back to Rio, and the party was still going. The beats were still going on with players banging cutlery on bottles and dancing on tables. That's Brazil. And then I went to the airport, flew to Rio, went to my hotel, got my things and flew back to England. Two days later, I was in Italy and sat in an office where they'd lost three on the bounce. The manager was under pressure. And yeah, when when I say there's two, you couldn't find two more contrasting cultures. I'm not, I'm not kidding. You know, as far as the parties and the social and the football's, 
free and it's a uh, it's a it's a way to express express ourselves and, and express our freedom and our and our culture and our the rhythm of our life here it's the complete opposite in italy um as i went in there unfortunately after 10 days after i arrived the head coach ended up losing his job um so i'd come from this party in brazil landed in italy and it was complete pressure we have to win. if we don't win this game the, the boss is under pressure um and Giladino came in, so I fortunately enough to work with another World Cup winner um, and another Italian legend, you know. So he came in, and yeah, I can only speak for him. I can't speak Italian in general, and what what football in Italy looks like. I can only speak because he's the only real Italian head coach I work with. Um, but a lot of his work was around automisms and patterns, and if the ball is played into this zone. This player must play this pass. It must go like this. And you can imagine the difference coming from what I'd come from in Brazil to coming to Italy. And I had to, I had to again, I had to stand back and go, okay, this is this is something I need to learn about as well. Um, so if you look at his team, it's something that probably resembles something closely to an Antonio Conte team. Um, everything's an automism. So yes, there's strengths. Players... Players know what's going to happen before it happens. So if the ball is passed into that space and this player is receiving with this body shape, this, mean the next, this means the next pass has to come here. So the strikers have to do a certain movement. And there's a strength because you, you can be one step ahead of the opponents. And But within that, there's also a lot of weaknesses, you know. Um, no two players are the same, you know. And, and, and you can play, maybe you play a 3-2 build-up, but if you change one of the two, your system, your style, your the the identity of your team changes completely. You know, even if you change a, a left footer for a right footer in one of the central defenders, everything changes. The angles are different. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, it was interesting. It was really interesting. But as I said, it was completely different. The similarity was the intensity around the methodology and the training campers in no days off, um, but in. And for similar reasons, the pressure from the fans. I remember uh, after my second second game there, um, we'd still not had a day off, and uh, my 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 missus was over with me, and I said, "Okay, we've got two days off planned after the game. Let's fly down to Rome. Let's take a couple of days. Let's let's uh, let's breathe." And we lost the game. Got on the bus, and uh, it was yeah uh, nine o'clock tomorrow, boys. We're in. And I was saying to the to the other staff around me, oh, wait, what? what? What do you mean? I've booked the flights and hotel in Rome, you know. So you can imagine the phone call to my missus there was uh, wasn't the easiest one. Um, but within with regards to that, the reason why they do that, right or wrong, is because the fans come to the training ground. If you lose, or if you Genoa in Serie B, where it's a it's a Serie A club, it's a big club, you need to win your games. So imagine we come in the next day. And there's fans at the at the at the training ground with tifoses and flares going off and all sorts. So yeah, it was uh, an education, completely different, completely different. See, like that's a really interesting point on on working for those two coaches at, at Genoa and Vasco, where again you said World Cup winners, and at a time where people are are critic not criticizing ex players getting jobs has always got criticism in the media. But, but you also get a, a, like you mentioned there, about the connection that Jorginho had, and you also get a charisma. And having worked with players from 
both ex-players and and players of the caliber of that there like what see that charisma how valuable is that in those environments when you're around it every day it's key i think it's key um i worked with two coaches who yeah the Giladino had won the World Cup and won won the Champions League and won 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 everything. You know, it was uh, unbelievable. And when they've got somebody who's done everything at that level, they bring a certain level of uh, expertise to the mood. So, for example, yeah, we've lost. Okay, what's next? When you lose, it looks like this, and this is how you come back from losing. The same with Jorginho as well. Um, you know, they both went and did it in different cultures. So. Especially at it's in Italy in the in the group we had last year, a lot of the team were foreign from different areas around Europe. There were South Americans, um, so that's where I came into play as well. So a lot of the players didn't speak Italian, so I could help a lot of those as well, whether they were Spanish or English speaking. Um, but with regards to the boss, yeah, I think with regards to understanding the dressing room and having witnessed a lot of what goes on and, and understanding how to approach certain situations. That was something that's, uh, you know, you can't really, you can't really teach that. You have to, you have to feel it. The language aspect of Portuguese and then Italian, uh, when were you working on those? Were you working on them when you were in Spain? Was that an English thing? Was that a hobby or, or was that learn on the spot? Yeah. With regards to, to Portuguese, I was fortunate because when I was in the States, um the first time I went was 2009 so I just turned 20 um and I met a Portuguese guy who'd played his career in Portugal uh, and then gone over to finish his career off in the states and ended up meeting an American woman and got married and had kids out there um and we just clicked within as as, as our personalities clicked and our ideas of football clicked and I ended up spending so much time with him i ended up living with him for a while um and you you'll know up in in the states and especially up in the up in the northeast there are areas where it can be completely italian it can be completely polish it can be completely portuguese and a lot of his friends didn't even speak a word of english you know they, they knew the basics but they'd moved to america from portugal and they were they were portuguese they were eating portuguese food they were speaking portuguese um, so I was around a lot of a lot of Portuguese language, um, so picked a lot up there. His day job was a language tutor in a college, um, so that's where I got the ideas of oh, I'm, I'm actually quite interested in learning languages. This is because he'd come home and sort of just test me, just just because of the personality he was. He'd say, okay, how do you say this? What about this? What about that? And that's where a lot of my ideas to to move to Spain and. You know, go and take that on. They came through him. I have to give him credit because um, he stretched me on that. Um, so yeah, a lot of the Portuguese came through there. And then when in 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 Brazil, luckily Jorginho spent time in 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 Germany, where when he arrived, he was speaking English to begin with before he learned German. Uh, so he knew English, um, and I was coaching completely in Spanish. Um, there were obviously players there who not had an education to a certain level um so they had trouble understanding my spanish um so yeah there's 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 probably 
75% of the team there spoke Spanish. And if I had to translate anything, I could use the players to pass messages on. Um, I could use Jorginho to, if, if I really needed to get in, deep into something and use an English word, he'd, he's, he's got good English, so he could understand as well. So I was lucky. Um, and then with Italy, again, my colleagues, um, one of the assistants there is German, but he's, he'd been there a year before I arrived and he, his, his Italian skills were incredible. He helped me a lot. I became quite close with him. And then one of the other coaches was uh, fluent in English as well. Um, so when, when Gilardino came in, um, yeah, everything was in Italian. Um, but when it's funny because when you learn, certainly when you're around football anyway, if I, if I went out and had a conversation with somebody in the streets about politics in Italy, I'd be, I'd be in big trouble. But uh, once you learn a Latin language, they, there's relations, there's relations between them. Um, and yeah, in for the first month or two months in meetings, I could get lost. Um, so I'd be sat at the back and I'd be translating things on my phone, the odd word and things like that, or I'd have uh, the audio to text on and, and be listening to, and, and I'd be recording what he's saying and then going back. Um, but after two months, I, I picked up a lot um, just from being around it. And I think that's key as well. That was key to my idea of, before going to Spain, I went to Mexico because I wanted to arrive knowing something. And, and I think arriving to, to Brazil and arriving to Italy, having having knowledge of a Latin language helped, helped me tremendously. See, even that aspect of, of interacting relationships with staff coming in from a different perspective, you also have to connect with people. Looking at your background, you're obviously that must be a really, really good skill that you have, like to go in to people. And you, you mentioned about dinners with Jorginho and stuff like that, but I, that doesn't happen naturally. You don't walk in the environment. Everyone's like, oh, let's go for dinner tonight. Like, how do you do that? No, with regards to going for dinners and social events, it happened in Italy as well. That's just because the environment they had and the environment they created, you know, it's no, there's no secret to the success that they had. You know, they're, they're really good at the job, first and foremost, really good at the job but they're good people um, and the environment was, you know, we carried each other, you know, I don't think you can survive in this game. If not, um, it doesn't matter the facility you're in. It doesn't matter how impressive the building is. If the people inside the building aren't great. Yeah. You may as well forget about it. It's, uh, the, it's, 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 it's people skills and the soft skills that, that carry the team. Um, but I think, but I think, I remember when I arrived to Italy and like I said, the coach who was there originally was German. So everything he did was um, with a translator, which yes, there's been success with translators and coaches in the past thinking about Marcelo Bielsa, but it's rare. I, f I find it really rare um, to connect, to, to, to really show the communication and soft, soft skills. I think it's key. Um, listen, the the coach that, that lost his job when I arrived is now top of the Belgian league, top 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 coach. His detail, uh, his philosophy, his his uh, his ideology of coaching was unbelievable. But the, it was just lack missing that communication with the players. Giladino came in, and within two weeks, players who were gone lost. You know, they, they were having having problems with the basics, you know, they're really, really out of form. All of a sudden they were back, they were comfortable. And it would just, even that's, that's, that comes, that goes deeper than a language, a language issue. I think, you know, when you feel 
something between two people. Um, there's a spark and there's a there's a connection, you know. Uh, they understand each other's instincts. Um, and yeah, Giladino came in and a feeling just came back. Um, what he was doing, we went back to fundamentals and, you know, even just with a look or a nod to a player, they understood what he wanted and where he wanted them to be. And yeah, result results started to come come through that. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's so important with the with the languages there. It's uh, again to understand a language, you have to understand the culture. And I'll go back to to the beginning with the first question. And you know, some of the some of the the ideas around the game in Spain, especially when I went there, they, those are things that I'd never thought of or heard of before. You know. When uh, so, for example, if you ask a coach, "What's your identity? How do you want your teams to play? How do you want your team to look?" They'll in England, I would probably say, "Oh, I want to have the ball as much as possible. I want to attack. I'm attack-minded coach." In Spain, they they'll use we're we're protagonists. We want to be the protagonist. That's also a mindset and a mentality rather than uh, tactical or technical. So. What they mean by when we're a protagonist is the same. No, no, we are the stars here. So if you if you translate it literally, it's the, you're the star of the show. But what they mean there is no, we are we are the only team here. The ball belongs to us. So for example, if if we lose the ball, we're not defending. We don't defend. It's ours. We're just going to get it back. So we don't talk about defending or robbing the ball or stealing the ball. We're just recovering something that belongs to us. We're the protagonist. We're the only team here. So the ball's ours. So there's moments where we lose it, but we're just going to get it back. It's ours. So, for example, understanding these concepts and 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 and, and mentalities around it is key. And yeah, you can you can get the best coach in the world, and if you go somewhere where maybe he speaks the language, but he doesn't have that cultural connection and under and that he can smell a dressing room before he walks in and understand. Okay, this is what it needs. I think that's so key. Then, then with the integration of data analytics science putting all these together mm. in different cultures is there you know in your experience has there been a culture that does it you know that's part of their culture as well um or is that do you find that just to be a challenge in world football at the minute where everyone's trying to to, to build the staff and without the silos uh yeah it's interesting um yeah, we spoke about specialized coaching earlier on, and and I think there needs to be clarity and 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 also a holistic, you know, uh, approach with unison amongst the group. Um, yeah, everybody wants to add their ten pence, and everybody wants their. But again, where do lines cross? For example, yeah, there's teams now, and the English national teams have gone down the route in the past with specialized coaching. But yeah, I think um, you need to be careful because. Yeah, I've, I've also worked in, in 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 methodologies and worked in sort of um, teams and clubs where they have specialised coaching, and will say, okay, you're a in possession coach, you're out of possession, and then we need to come together and work about transit. But then, who coaches what, when, and where? For example, you know the way we attack results in how we defend. The way we defend results in how we attack. For example, if we're sat in a let's say four three three. And one of the eights jump out to press the fullback on the opposition team. If we get the ball, we look completely different. If he's not there in the middle, then the system's changed. You know, we need we need to be careful with that because it's like speaking about if you think about, for example, Haaland 
see, and he and he wants to improve on his right foot and his right foot and his right foot and his right foot. So you take his right foot off and work only his right foot. If you put that back on, all of a sudden, he's lost his balance from his left foot. You know, how does he use his upper body to to gain to gain the space to use his right foot? How does he, you know, it's uh, everything's a sum of its parts. And um, I think, yeah, we need we need to be careful with it because. That's, that again comes back to breaking the game down into phases and it's not something that I really subscribe to either. Um, I think apart from set pieces and, and yeah, goalkeepers as well, I think when we break down into specialised coaches and you need to do this, you need to do that, I don't know how successful you can be if it's one person sort of responsible. Um, so when I've had success at Genoa or, or Vasco, there's been a common trend and that's that everybody's involved with everything. Yes, you have your own roles and I was in charge of set pieces, but the the assistants and the analysts knew what I was doing and knew what I thought because we'd sat together and I said, what do you think about this? And that even goes into the goalkeepers as well. You know, how can, how can the goalkeeper only work on the goalkeepers and then we throw them into a system and say, and the, the gaffer all of a sudden is going to turn to the keeper coach and say, why is he not taking that on his right foot and played it right out to the other side? Why have you not worked on that? It can't. It's, we've got to work together somehow. Um, especially when you think of set pieces, how much real refined detail can you give to a full group? You can't. So you find yourself coaching details to two or three players, which often means there's at least 10 or 15 other players, you know, stood cold thinking, what am I doing here? What's happening? So I think the more you can work as a group, and I've even done it at my previous two clubs where analysts will come out and I'll say, okay, when we're doing this, can you work with this player in this zone just to make sure that he's aware this is his trigger, this is his moment to jump out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's key to work in, with a holistic approach. And um, at Genoa, they didn't, they didn't, they only had one analyst, but there was also three coaches doing the analysis work and working together with the analysts. And then... Yeah, there was a goalkeeper coach, but they then he'd work alongside the fitness coach would help him. The goalkeepers need this and this. And then at this point, we'll enter the session and then the the goalkeeper coach has to sit in the the team sort of um, video analysis session because he knows what the he knows what the outfield players need and the goalkeeper's part of that as well. So I think it's key that you know we don't have people just sat in their corners. Analysts just analyze set piece coaches, you're in charge of set pieces, and then no, it can't it can't be that. I think Whenever there's success, is because there's a holistic approach. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, sometimes I think America has it, it sounds an attacking coordinator, offensive defensive coordinator. I think about this a lot because it happened. There's a lot of college soccer staffs that that are set up with that there. But football doesn't. American football doesn't have transition, and basketball transitions are yeah. fairly like it's a layup at the other end. Like it's football transitions yeah. are. Are way different completely it's all we're talking about one moment it's one continuous moment like i spoke about before with the language and where the ideas are born from with certainly in spain it's no way to have the ball or we're trying to trying to recover it we don't really speak about running backwards okay we're attacking we're attacking the opposition area we've locked it now what we're going to do we're going to ask the opposition okay stop there because we need to get into our defensive structure no it's football's one continuous moment you know uh, whether that means you you do play with a more uh, conservative approach you look at the likes of 
Arteta now, and he is building a lot. Sometimes they're building with a three and a three because he does want to have more possession, but also be conservative when they lose the ball. And same with City, you know, I think it was actually Arteta that said there's no more defensive coach in the world than Pep Guardiola. You know, he's constantly thinking, how can we have control? Um, and yeah, it's got to come from it's got to come from from those 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 mentalities of we either had the ball or we're trying to recover it. There's no real okay, stop there, let's move here. You need to change your job, put this hat on, put your defensive hat on. It can't work like that. Brilliant. All right, last couple for you. Um, the what do you think's next? It looks like we've gone through a science revolution. Data's come in. You're at the cutting edge and also with different, looking at different cultures and looking at best practice. And Where do you think the game's going to go in the next five years in terms of what do you think is going to dominate conversations in environments? Yeah, the next five years, I mean, it can only be a guess, can't it? But yeah, data's, data's coming into the game now. Um, it's something that we've just touched on there. But no, I think I think the first step is removing the fear because there's a lot of fear and it, there's, there's, when you start talking about numbers and okay they've got 0.4.1 xg in this area you need some there's been a lot of whoa, whoa, whoa what's that what's that what's that um i think with time and with the education from from uh in grassroots and through academies and football base now it's uh the players are going to understand things a little bit more as are the the new generation of coaches who might i add are very you know, it's a brave group. The next generation, it's a brave group of coaches. You know, and I think a lot, a lot of that does have to come back. And and you know, you have to tip your hat to 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 a lot of the um, the federations and the courses that they're putting on, and these coaches that they are starting to to develop and produce. Um, and part of that is is the data and the numbers. But on the other side, how far can it go with the data? You know, I mean, for me, it's a conversation starter. And it's it can't be much more than that because, yeah, you you can go to a player and say, look, in this area, you're not getting as many first contacts here and here. I'll use an example. When we defend corners, we're losing whatever percentage of first contacts in this space and the contacts that we're losing are this XG. So we need to then work on your body shape, on your approach. If if he takes and it's an outswing, and I want you to adjust your position there, I think that's key. Um, that we do we do relay it to players so that they understand that it's just a reason to work on something. It can't be it can't be the reason. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just a starting a starting base. Um, at the same time, we are humans playing a human game, and it's a game of mistakes. Um, and how how much can we look into XG can XG tell us, for example, can XG tell us what kind of XG is a chance if the player's lacking confidence because he's not scored in seven games? Does the XG change? What about if the cross comes in and the ball arrives there, but the wind's blowing and the ball's moved to a different trajectory as the wind's blowing at the last minute, but it still arrives to the same place? You know, how much can XG tell us that? Um, but as I said, it's still a, it's still a game played by people, coached by people, and, and it's all humans. And you have to relay everything there in a human form. Um, and with that, you've got your soft skills and your different ways. And and that's why coaching and coaches are so important as well. 
yeah, it's, as I said, it's a conversation starts, but we have to we have to try and relay it in a, in an understandable term. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last one, coaches that are that are starting. You mentioned there about coach education, and we didn't even get into this the Spanish uh, experiences, but but coaches that are are starting to have better frameworks, more effective frameworks. Part of that is coaching philosophy and and maybe planning out your steps and where you want to go with this thing. And very very difficult in this industry, of course, but. I, I said at the start, of it, it looks, if anyone was to take your pathway, I think a lot of people would be, oh, I'd love to do oh, That'd be amazing. That'd be fantastic. Like, what advice would you have for, for coaches that want to immerse themselves in different cultures at competitive levels and almost fill two buckets here where you're, you're, getting that, you're getting that competitive football where you make an impact environment, but there must be an enormous amount of self-growth as well. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to give advice to more on a on a generic scale but i think for me it's got to be your own path you've got to follow your own path um and that my path's going to look different to the next person's and then the next person's the next person's um but i think everything comes from love and love for the game and something that something that you can't afford to lose because we all have reasons for coaching or analyzing or whatever we do in the game we've all got a reason some people do it for money some people do it for for the status and that's fine and the money's fine but if there's not a deep down love at the roots then yeah the the game the game will get the better of you because you know it's uh it can be tough like like we spoke about at the beginning i was when i went to spain they were those were long days leaving at 7 a.m teaching all day and then going spending any money i got to go and go and get the metro to my session you know i was completely broke you know it was uh I wasn't living very well. I wasn't healthy at all in those days. I was I was sleeping on my friend's floor in his apartment. There needs to be a love there. Um, and like I said, within that, choose your own path um, and keep chasing upwards. Something that I do, and it's come up a lot recently, whenever I'm in doubt over a decision or I'm not sure what should I do, should I take this role, and I've been close to some things and, and not, I always think, Think back to that seven-year-old kid kicking a ball against a wall who only had dreams, didn't have any money, didn't have a job, didn't have a name or anything in the game. What would he want you to do now? What would he want you to do? And then from there, it goes back to my root. Yeah, I love this and I need this and need, and, and, and I think this is, this is what I need to do because it's going to make me happy. And from that, you're always going to go with your gut and, uh, and that's all you can do. That's all you can do. That's the, I can't give much more advice than that. Um, apart from really... You love for your game and keep chasing upwards. You know, it's uh, coaching as much as you can. For example, there's a lesson coaching the local grassroots team, which is something now. Some, so I can go from working with Premier League players in the in the morning and afternoon and then in the evenings, I go into my local grass and I go and help one of the local teams there just because I love it. There's a lesson in both of them. There's a lesson there to be had in both of them. So don't be scared to coach. Don't Don't think... No, uh, what does it look like? What's the perception of me coaching that group? Do whatever you can because there's a lesson everywhere in this game. Brilliant, brilliant. Hey, I'm going to sneak one in. You said, um, you mentioned there about love of the game and you mentioned there about uh, earlier on about Malmo and, and the different the different teams that have that have got your attention. What are you watching at the minute? Like what, what draws your attention? What's something a little bit different that you're looking at, if you can tell us? Yeah, uh, it's tough because I'm currently working with three or four four teams at the minute. Um, 
like I told you before, I'm um, I'm based in Manchester, so I try and get to see City as much as I can. Yeah, that's a, that's a cliche, and yeah, of course they're the best team in the world. Um, but I think for me, Guardiola's working on a level where he's not only adapting and adjusting season to season, but week to week. Every week I go there, something different's happening. Some some players got a new role, and I think he takes a lot of pride in finding new ways to win. And I think it's something that like relationism is, is yeah, it's, it's something that's going to grow certainly in South America because that's something they feel. But we spoke about um, structures and systems in the, in Europe. I think if there's one sort of leader there, it's Guardiola. Um, if I'm honest, I watch, if it's not a team that I'm working for or analyzing one of the upcoming oppositions, then I'm watching City a lot. Um, apart from that, I actually do look at, when I can, I go and look at Andorra FC. We've got a coach, Ede Sarabia, who used to be Kike Setien's assistant. They're really interesting, a lot of his ideas there. Um, and who else do I look at? Villa. I like it. I love Emery. Um, I was only actually watching them the other day when they played Everton. And yeah, their, their triggers and principles in, in the defensive back line as well, when they jump. Uh, what's the trigger? You know, uh, you know he's he's a coach that I've had the the fortune to coach against as well once, and uh, yeah, he's he's an intense guy. But it's every player is something that he he thinks and speaks about are the um, the different spaces the different spaces in the pitch. So if we think about the different uh, phase spaces, so for example, when the right winger has got the ball, the left back's got a job. What's he doing? Because in a minute, he may be attacking, he may be defending, but he needs to be in this sort of zone on the field. And there's always a trigger, whether it's his teammates, the opposition, where the ball is, where the space is, uh, the body shape of of the player in possession, the options for the player in possession, the quality of the player in possession. And and then, of course, you know, there's, there's the different relations within the group as well that they can also have, effect, have an effect on where you need to be. Um, so yeah, I think those three coaches, I'd say Emmett, but of course Pep Guardiola is the king. Uh, but yeah, something that's a little bit more obscure is probably Eder Sarabia, and then of course uh, Emery's doing great things in the Premier League. But I don't get much more time if I'm honest. <laughs> Brilliant, Alex. Thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Amazing. I've loved it. Thank you. No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to come on, and uh, finally, finally got myself on here, and yeah, it's uh, it's lived up to my expectations. So thank you for that. No, brilliant, brilliant. Keep up the great work, and and like I said, you're an inspiration to many people. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Brilliant. Thank you, thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.